there's no handbook for your child's health, but we do have a podcast featuring world-class clinical and research physicians covering everything from your child's allergies to zinc levels. This is Kids HealthCast by Wild Cornell Medicine, and our topic today is preventive health for school-aged children. Joining me is Dr. Jane Nestler. She's an instructor in pediatrics at Weill Cornell Medicine and an assistant attending pediatrician at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medical Center. Dr. Nestler, it's such a pleasure to have you on. How important are the annual well visits, the well visit physicals that you give our school aged children, and what happens at those visits? Thanks, Melanie. It's great to great to be here. Uh, these visits are extremely important, um, and uh, we go over a lot of information in them. I first like to ask the child and parents if they have any specific concerns or questions that day. I then like to review any chronic medical problems uh, the child may have, whether it be asthma, headaches, or ADHD, and just to make sure that they're being properly managed and well-controlled. After that, we review the patient's diet, their sleep routine, and hygiene, and make sure they aren't having any toileting issues, such as constipation. And we also discuss how school is going. Uh, So it's crucial to identify any learning difficulty or concern early on. Um, So these visits are such important opportunities to help promote healthy habits early on and make sure the child's development is also on track. Well, I certainly remember all of those things that you mentioned fondly, I might add. So when you are visiting with the child and their mother, what are you looking for, Dr. Nestler, when you monitor a child's growth when they're in that age group? Mm-hmm. In this age group, they come to our office annually for well-child checks. And at each annual visit, both the height and weight are done and plotted on growth charts. We don't look for any particular or special number or a percentile. The most important thing is that their percentiles or BMIs remain consistent from visit to visit. And then in addition to looking at the growth charts, we also want to make sure the child has healthy eating habits. So we often go over the child's diet and in a lot of detail during these visits and um, if, if need be, recommending any adjustments in their, in their diet. What hearing and vision screening is done at the pediatric office? And when is it that you might say, you know what, take this child to the ophthalmologist for, you know, a more in-depth checkup? Do you do vision and hearing screening? Yeah, so at each annual visit for school-age kids, uh, there are specific screening tests that are done in our office, usually at the beginning of the visit um, before they see us, and it includes hearing and vision screens. And then we only refer them to specialists, so that being either the ophthalmologist uh, for vision concerns or the audiologist or ear, nose, and throat doctors for the if there's a hearing concern. So we only send them to specialists if they fail the screening tests, if the parents or patients have any specific concerns about their hearing or vision, or if we as the physicians are concerned about any findings that we may have found or noted on their physical exam. Well, thank you for that answer. So while we're talking about that particular appointment, tell us a little bit about some of the important vaccines that children get in this general age group. And you can even define the age group we're talking about, if you would. Yeah, so we're school-aged children, we're 
defining it as age four to 10. So I'll talk a little bit about the vaccines that they get within that age group. The main ones are given usually at four years old, anywhere from four to six years old. And we typically give two combination vaccines. So one of them is called MMRV, which consists of measles, mumps, rubella, and chickenpox. And the other combination vaccine we give is called DTaP-IPV, which consists of diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, and polio. We also recommend a flu shot. And per the American Academy of Pediatrics, if your child is younger than nine years old and it's the first time they're getting the vaccine, they have to get two doses at least four weeks apart. And then thereafter, it's just one flu shot annually. Um, We really do promote vaccinating our children. The vaccines uh, are very effective and prevent children from getting these potentially dangerous illnesses. And if parents have any more questions or specific questions about certain vaccines, they should ask their provider. It certainly is important. So kids this age, they're starting kindergarten. Oh, such a wonderful age. And they're going through elementary school. Do parents talk to you about separation issues, about socialization? Should we be making after-school play dates? What do parents ask you, Dr. Nestler, about this time of life for a child and really getting them integrated into that whole routine of going to school and learning and being away from their parents for a certain time of the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are definitely instances where there's either separation anxiety or school avoidance, um, more so at the beginning of that age group, so, you know, four through six or so. Um, but encouraging socialization in this age group in school age children is extremely important. It promotes many skills and concepts needed to advance their development. So it, you know, helps them learn to share, increases their patience. They also, you know, when they're at this younger age, they also start showing and understanding empathy more and learning through play or interaction with their peers also brings out their creativity, their cooperation. So it's very important to um, start socialization and, and play dates and interactions at an early age. One of the things you mentioned earlier, doctor, was healthy lifestyles and how parents can help their children with that as a pediatrician. How do you counsel the parents when maybe they're worried about their child's BMI or weight, you know, on that growth chart, or maybe they're worried about their eating habits? Picky eaters are pretty common at that age. What do you tell parents? How do you counsel them in ways that they can help to promote those healthy, you know, healthy behaviors so that the children develop them for a lifetime? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So regarding the exercise, um, the AAP recommends at least 60 minutes of physical activity daily. And we like to tell the parents to encourage the kids to walk whenever possible, even if it's only for a few blocks. And the way the family can aid that is just encouraging families um, to participate in activities that include exercise. So going on family hikes or biking together or swimming in the summer. Also, in our media age, it's so important to schedule media-free time, so times to step away from the screen and go to the park or go on a family walk. And regarding the eating and the picky eating, that's a very common question and concern that parents have. And 
Usually it, we obviously we look at the growth charts, we look at their BMI, we see if they're missing any major food group, but a lot of it is reinsurance, uh, reassurance because a lot of kids go through picky stages and as long as they're having a pretty well varied diet and are gaining weight well on their curve, there's nothing to be concerned about. Well, that is, as you say, so common and really important for parents to hear because they do worry, but As you say, role modeling and getting involved as a family, taking those walks is such a great way to do that. Another thing that parents run into at these age groups is sleep issues. The kids don't yet quite have their phones, hopefully, and so they're not quite into social media and staying up late, but yet they maybe resist bedtime. Maybe they don't want to stop watching their favorite television show or cartoon. Maybe they want to keep reading books and they keep bringing more of them out to try and get you to stay up with them. And parents get frustrated. What do you tell them? Yes, that's also a very common concern. So the most important thing for in this age group is to have, and for everyone really, is to have a consistent schedule. So at this age group, kids need about anywhere from 9 to 12 hours of sleep each night. And it's so important to go to bed each night roughly at the same time and also wake up roughly at the same time in the morning. It's also helpful to have some sort of pre-bedtime routine in order to wind down at the end of the day. And acti- the activities should be in the same order each night. So, for example, have dinner, shower, read a book, and then get into bed. As you said um, about the media, there should be no screen time for at least two hours before going to sleep. And the other thing is it's also important to remember to only use the bed for sleeping. So the child shouldn't be reading or watching TV in the bed or doing any of their homework in their bed. They should really try to only associate it with sleeping. Well, that's really a good point as we conclude. Do you have any good advice for parents listening that have children in that four to 10 age range. And there's so many things going on that are exciting and a little nerve wracking in that age group. What do you tell them every day, Dr. Nestler, when they come to you with questions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, this is a very broad topic, a, a, you know, a very large range of ages, but I just like to reemphasize the importance of Uh, attending these annual visits because we go over and discuss such a wide range of topics um, to make sure the child is physically and mentally healthy and also that they're, you know, developing healthy habits early on. Well, thank you so much. Great advice for parents. And I encourage you to listen to all of the podcast series on preventive health for our children starting in infancy, toddlerhood, school-aged children, and then on to teenagers. That concludes today's episode of Kids HealthCast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Wild Cornell Medicine podcasts. For more health tips and updates on the latest medical advancements and breakthroughs, follow us on your social channels. I'm Melanie Cole. If you or a loved one is undergoing cancer treatment, rehabilitation medicine can help with recovery and ease painful side effects. Listen to Back to Health, Wild Cornell Medicine's podcast series dedicated to rehabilitative medicine to learn more about the ways psychiatrists can help.
All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Wild Cornell Medicine as an institution.